you take the time to read Daniel chapter 1 through 6, you'll find, I believe, the critical question to be, will you be faithful to God no matter what? And that's our series title, No Matter What. I'd like you to ask yourself that question all throughout the next couple months or so. I looked it up in the dictionary just to make sure I was on the right page about what the phrase no matter what means. The dictionary says if you say you're going to if you say no matter what, it's you're going to do something and you're emphasizing that you're definitely going to do it, even if there are obstacles or difficulties, like when you take your wedding vows. Uh, you're going to say basically to your spouse that you're going to be with them for better, for worse, for sickness, remember, and health, and richer, for poorer, um, no matter what. That's what death to us part means, no matter what happens. And not that there aren't difficulties that takes place in marriages, but when my wife and I got married 32 years ago, we said we wouldn't even use the divorce word in our home because we emphasize this, we are going to stay together no matter what. When you raise your hand to be sworn in in a jury in a court case, you're basically saying as you raise your hand that you're going to be faithful to tell the truth, no matter what, even if it incriminates you, even if it turns out to make you a liar or a criminal, that you're going to swear to tell the truth. You're going to be faithful to do that no matter what. When you sign a contract with someone, whether it's to buy a house or whether it's any other thing that you might do, you're faithful to fulfill all the requirements. That's what you're saying. And you're going to do everything that's on that contract no matter what. So when you say that to God, no matter what, it means that you're going to do what you said you're going to do in any conditions or regardless of what happens. Armand was a young boy who lived, true story, in Armenia in 1979. And there was the biggest earthquake the country had ever seen happened that day. But he didn't realize it was coming um, Armand would have his dad drop him off at school every morning. They would go across town, and uh, they would be dropped off. And every day, he'd get out of the car, and the last words his dad would say to him was, Armand, I'll be back to pick you up at the end of school. And then he'd say this, no matter what. And he said it every day. And so the day the earthquake came, he dropped his son off at school and made the statement he made every day, didn't put any stock in it other than the fact that it was a ritual, and said, I'll be back to pick you up at the end of school no matter what. But that day would be different. The earthquake 7.9 on the Richter scale. If you know anything about that, that's catastrophic. Just about everything in Armand's town was destroyed. Buildings were toppled, houses were leveled, people were killed. So his dad, who was at work at the time, the first thing on his mind is he drove home to see if his wife was okay. And he made it very close to where he lived, but because of sirens and all the ambulance and police and all the cars and the emergency equipment and people trying to help other people. He couldn't make it all the way home. There was car crashes and people piled up on the side of the road. So he got within a few blocks, got out of his car, ran and found out that his wife was fine. Their house was pretty much devastated, but she was fine and that was most important. So of course, the next thing he did was get back in his car, make his way as best he could across town to find out about his son. Again, couldn't quite reach his school, had to get out of his car and park it a few blocks away because of all of the chaos and all of the destruction that had taken place. And he finally runs a number of blocks, turns the corner, only to be completely devastated when he sees his son's school, which had been completely flattened from three stories. 
He tried to remember in his mind with the sorrow dwelling, you know, starting to well up in him about where his son might be and what had happened to him. And he remembered his son's room was in the right backhand corner of that building. He made his way around the building and found all kinds of parents uh, looking through the rubble and trying to find their children with no uh, success. He looked around, shouted Armand's name, couldn't find him. Um, and t- so he did what any parent would do. He began to do what all the other ones are doing. He turned over rocks and rubble and was looking for Armand, could not find him, but then hours passed. And he was there uh, eight hours and still hadn't found him. And during that time, police officers, emergency people, firemen came up to him and said, you know, there are gas explosions, there are leaks everywhere, there's all kinds of things going on. It's too dangerous. You need to go home. When we find your child, we will contact you and let you know. And he says, I can't. He says, I can't. I I told my son that I would come back for him no matter what. And so he stayed. He stayed. Eight more hours for a total of 16, and then 24 hours, and then 32 hours. 38 hours later, he would push over a boulder, which would be the biggest one that he pushed over. And as he tells the story there, the boulder covered up what would be a hall closet in the hallway that was outside of his son's room. And he shouted down into the darkness, Armand, are you there? And he heard his son's little voice. Dad, is that you? And he said, yes. He said, Dad, I'm so glad I knew you'd come. He said, all my 12 friends and I are down here. And I told him, oh, don't worry. We're going to be fine. My dad told me he was coming back no matter what. See, that kind of commitment, that kind of devotion was life-saving for Armand and his friends. See, that's, can I tell you honestly, what it means to be a Christian See, when you say yes to God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy to forgive your sins, and you sign up to be a follower and disciple of Jesus, you're saying this, God, I worship you and serve you, and I'll be dedicated to you first, no matter what, even if there are obstacles and difficulties. So basically what you do when you get saved is you tell God, hey, God, through your son Jesus, you gave your all for me. So I'm going to give my all for you, regardless of what happens. I'm going to serve you in any conditions. And what you need to tell God is there's no small print at the bottom of the contract, so to speak. There are no hidden clauses. There are no loopholes needed. And there are no strings attached. I'm not going to say, hey, God, I love you, but. Or, hey, I want to really do this for you, but. See, it's not like that when you become a Christian. See, it's no strings attached. It's I love you, and I'll serve you, and I'll worship you. No matter what. And that feature was missing in the national identity of Israel. See, they had worshipped God, but they had departed from him. And they started to worship God and other idols. And they become fickle. And they had, at best, a casual commitment to God, but they really preferred the idols over him. And because of that, and you can read it for yourself in Second Chronicles 36, which is really the last chapter of the Old Testament in the Jewish Bible, the very last thing recorded in their history is that God sent the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and he sent them to judge his people. Why? Because they had not been faithful to him. See, there are three deportations. 605, it says in our text, the royalty people in Hezekiah's court and household, which means probably Daniel and his three friends are in some way either related to Hezekiah 
or served in his court. They were taken when, when he came the first time back to Babylon. 597, eight years later, they came and got the rest of all the professional class people. And then back in 587, ten more years later, the third deportation, it says they came and they leveled the city, they destroyed the temple and burned everything with fire and only left the poorest of people. See, Daniel is a book that is written to exiles who are no longer living in their homeland. And the message to them is this. You need to be faithful to God no matter what. And if you do, he will be faithful to the promises that he has made you. See, they hadn't been faithful. But God says, and that's why you're in Babylon. That's why you're in exile. See, but you can come back and you can be faithful again. And see, that's a great promise and truth I wanted you to hear this morning. Listen, but it is not as easy as all that. Why? Because you look at your life and where faith, unfaithfulness has got you, you start looking around at your circumstances and you begin to wonder. See, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, don't run over this phrase, and besieged it. You know what it means to be besieged? The Bible tells us in the book of Jeremiah that the process took 18 months and what they do is they surround your city and the walls of your city and they build ramparts and they're constantly trying to break, you, break in and destroy you. And if they can't get in, then they sit there and they make it po- impossible for you to get water or food into your city. And so for 18 months, that's what Israel did. And eventually they were defeated and they took over the city. They had lost to Babylon. It was an incredible and total defeat. Now, stick with me because it means more than just losing. See, in the ancient Near East, when you lost, it didn't just mean the Babylonian's armor, army was stronger than your army. It obviously meant that. But back then, it also meant that the Babylonian gods were stronger than your gods. Because you fought battles in your god's name. And many times, even in the Old Testament Jewish history... Uh, God's people went out and fought in his name, and they cried out his name. Why? Because you represented your God in battle. And so when the Babylonians beat the Jewish people in this battle and came in and destroyed their city, here's what it meant. Yeah, our gods are stronger than your gods. Remember back when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and they captured it and they took it back into their land? What did they do with it? They put it in the temple of the Philistine god Dagon. And remember when they came back the next day and Dagon had fallen on his face? And then he set him back up. And then the he, he next day he fell on his face and he was cracked all in pieces. Why? Because here's what God says. Hey, your, my people may have been judged by me, but I'm still better than your God because I am God. But here's what God, here's what the Babylonians would have thought. They would have thought that their gods were better than that. And people of Israel would be in exile and they would be shaking their hands and their head and, and holding up their hands and going, What happened? What's going on? How could this happen in our lives? Have you ever been there? Maybe you're here this morning, and in your situation and your circumstances, you'd say, Pastor Walker, I feel besieged. I feel like I've been surrounded. I feel like I've suffered a pretty major defeat. And maybe you'd think it was some financial defeat or a marital one or relational one, maybe a spiritual one in your own life. And he said, listen, I'm here this morning and maybe not very many other people know about it, but listen, I know where unfaithfulness to God has taken me. The Bible says that he took them 
and he took them to the land of Shinar. See, Shinar in Genesis 11 is the place where the Tower of Babel was. It's a place of defiance. It's where opposition to God is all there. And so they have to know when they're walking across on top of the desert, you can't walk across, when they walk this long trip and go around the desert and they end up in Babylon, they remember the story. They, they know God's word. They know they're in a place because they've rebelled. They've been in opposition against God. And they begin to question themselves. Is there any hope in our circumstances? Have we been so unfaithful that not even God can forgive us? Is it even worth it to even worship him and put him first in our lives? Because is he really even stronger than our enemies? And all these questions begin to flood their minds. But God is going to prove to them, and can I say to you and me, as we go through the book of Daniel in these first six chapters, that he is faithful, that God is powerful, that he is worthy of all of our commitment and all of our dedication and all our devotion. And he does it in the simplest way at the very beginning. Can I just point them out to you? The the chapter begins in verse 1 and ends in verse 21 with two chronological markers. And here's what the first one is. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now you say, like, okay, big deal, history. Okay, I got it. At the end of the chapter, it says, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Those two are frameworks for Daniel's entire life and ministry. Between those two statements, not just in this chapter, but about the book of Daniel, it totals 66 years. So from the time Daniel was 16 to the time he probably died when he was about 82, see, God was faithful to Daniel. In the test of the food, when he had to interpret dreams, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the fiery furnace, and when he told them the big dream and the vision, and he, they didn't bow down, and the lion's den, and on and on. See, here's what Daniel wants you to know from the very beginning. See, if you are faithful to God in your circumstances, no matter what happens, no matter what the situation, no matter what the conditions, see, God will be faithful to you. And he says, look at my life. For 60, almost seven decades, God was faithful to me. He brought me through six emperors, two different countries who ruled this area, and I served under all these people in all these lands. They came and they went, but I'm still here because God is faithful. See, that's how he wants you to understand this entire chapter. And so the critical question for you and I this morning is this. Will you be faithful to God as you live out your life in modern Babylon that we call America? Will you be faithful no matter what? No matter the pressures, no matter the temptations, no matter the losses, no matter the suffering, no matter the ridicule, no matter the discouragement, no matter the mistreatment, no matter what anyone and everyone else does around you, even at church, Will you be faithful to God no matter what? And you might begin to say, okay, Pastor Walker, I get it. I need to be faithful. No matter, but you don't know what I have to go through. You know the difficulties it is following Jesus at my job, in my school, where I live, in my family? So how do you, how can you be faithful to God in an anti-God world? You have to have two things down in your life. We're going to do one this morning and the rest of the time and one next week in chapter one. And those two things are this. You have to be certain about who God is and who you are. Who God is and who you are. Let's tackle just the first one this morning in the few minutes we have left. 
who God is. There are three things I want you to circle, either in your mind or with a pen, in this text. The same exact Hebrew verb is used in all three. Chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 17. And the phrase is, God gave or the Lord gave. It uses three times, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim. See it there? Verse 9. And God gave Daniel. Verse 17. And as for these four youths, God gave them. Judah's exile from the land of Israel was not, hear me, an accident. It wasn't just bad luck. It wasn't just their destiny. It wasn't just the result of expansionist policies of imperial Babylon. Listen, the Bible's very clear and doesn't deny the historical things that happened to get them. Now that Nebuchadnezzar came over there, he besieged them, he attacked them, he beat them, he carried them off. All those things are true. The Bible explains it and records those facts. But the Bible is very clear, please don't miss it, that that is not the main reason why it happened. The Bible says, first time it uses it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You see that? It wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar, although God used him. It wasn't the siege and all. It was all that. But you know what's behind all of that? God. The Lord was behind all of it. Daniel and his three friends were in exile with the rest of the Jewish people that were taken at that time as a fulfillment of the prophecy in 2 Kings chapter 20. Hezekiah had an envoy come from Babylon, and when they came, here's what they did if you were politically oriented. If you were politically oriented and you wanted the biggest, most powerful nation to help you beat your enemies, i.e., in his case, Egypt and the other people, then you would go into your treasuries and you would show them all the riches you had. And that's what he did. Hezekiah said, I went in and showed the Babylonian envoy all the treasures of gold and silver, the money, the loot, the things in our temple, all the riches we had that had been piled up since the time that the kingdom started. And when you do that, you're asking Babylon for a political alliance. And in the rules of kings in the Old Testament, God says what you cannot do is have any alliances with any nation You have to trust me alone. Hezekiah didn't find his stability and his security in God, as great a king as he was. He thought he needed to add to that the power and might of Babylon, so he compromised. And as a result, here's what God says. Because you have compromised with Babylon, there is a day coming that they will come And literally, it says, besiege you, and they will take everything that you've ever accumulated and your children and your court, he says, and listen to this, and nothing will be left. Nothing. And that's exactly what happened. And that's why they're in the situation that they're in. Not because of Nebuchadnezzar, but because of their own disobedience and unfaithfulness to God. See, it's possible this morning... That God brought you here to hear this word because he wants you to say this. Have you ever considered the fact that the situation that you're in and the difficulties you face are by God's hand? That God's doing this in your life. Have you ever thought this, that the dead-end job that you have and the reason that you're there and nothing ever happens is because the Lord put you there? That the Lord gave you the difficult relationship and all the troubles you're having in your marriage and you're not sure why it's not going better than it should be, than it is. The Lord is doing that. 
The Lord gave you the rebellious teenager that you don't know what to do, that drives you crazy, and you don't know how you're going to fix it. The Lord gave you the financial problems that you don't know how you're going to make the payments and the credit card bills are piling up and you're not sure how you're going to make it through. See, the Lord does all that. But listen, because I say that doesn't mean that there aren't bad bosses and there aren't bad spouses and there aren't disobedient teens and there isn't a bad economy at times. It doesn't rule out those things. But what it does says, say and what the Bible clearly wants you to see is in all of that, God's in it. God's behind it. And maybe God, like he did in their lives, is doing in your life, here's what he's doing. He wants you to start depending on him again. Stop trying to make your own arrangements, your own alliances, do things your own way, like Hezekiah did. And he says, why can't you and why won't you be faithful to me, no matter what, he says. And so remember I told you what you need to know if you're going to live faithfully for God in an unfaithful culture to God. Here's what you have to know first and foremost. You have to know who he is. And what does this text and these three verbs teach us? Here's what it teaches about who God is. That he is sovereign. That God is in control. And isn't that a positive thing? I mean, isn't it good to know that even though you were beat by Nebuchadnezzar that he really doesn't rule? That he isn't in control? I can tell you this, I am so grateful that God is in control, not the White House. I am so thankful that God is more powerful than the Supreme Court and the legislators who hand down laws that allow people to have abortion on demand. I want you to know they're not in charge. Our God is in control. Our God is sovereign over senators and governors and mayors, including Hamilton Township who seems to stall us at every chance we have to do something with Faith Farm. Can I tell you this? They're not in charge. He is. And if you don't know it by now, can I tell you this? We don't trust in a man. We trust in the God-man, Jesus Christ. When Jesus was born, I love it because in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, it says this, and Jesus was born when Herod was king and Caesar Augustus made all this proclamation and they think that they're moving the slaves around and it's Caesar who has all the power and Herod rules and he's trying to kill Jesus and he's the one in charge. And can I tell you this? They're not in charge. God is in charge. God rules in the relationships and the details of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and every single detail. And can I tell you this? It's also true because history is his story. It is. And our history, American history, world history, is going exactly where God is taking it. But see, our God is not only sovereign over national and international events in history, But can I tell you this, right down to where we live, he's also sovereign over the personal events in your history and in mine. Because the first God gave in chapter 1, verse 2, is followed by chapter 1, verse 9 and 17. And those two are specifically about the lives of Daniel and his three friends. So yeah, is God over Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. Is he over Babylon? Yes. Does he rule in all the affairs of history? Yes. So he is this eminent God who's way out there, but he's more than that. He's a God who cares about the very details of your life and mine. So God is faithful on a national level and on a personal level. Can I apply that to our church? See, God cares deeply about Faith Baptist Church on a corporate level. You know, for almost 60 years, God has been faithful to us as a church. For over 50 years, he's been faithful to Faith Christian School. 
He has given us Mosaic as a daughter church that's taking place, and they're having services while we're having services today. And do you know that that's been happening for seven years now? Do you know that we've been doing the shower trailer this year? We've been doing it for 10 years. Doesn't seem possible, does it? We have a headquarters in Panama. And so while Mosaic is having services and we're having services, do you know they're having services in Panama as well today? And God, is through the generosity of his people, have given money. And at the end of this year, we'll have paid off that, that property entirely. Because God has been good to us, the Bible says. And he has. He's been faithful to us. So he's not just powerfully sovereign. He's personally sovereign. He's not just transcendent. He's imminent. He's not just out there somewhere. He's in here, right here in your life and mine. He is not just far away, God. He is an up-close God. Verse 9 says, God gave Daniel, Daniel, just put your name there. God gave Daniel favor in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. I find it interesting that while Babylon thought they were in charge and in control of everything, both globally and locally, right, in their own backyard, that anything but that was true. And Daniel teaches us in this chapter and pretty much every chapter, it's, it's the true God who's really orchestrating all the events for the good of his people. Can I give you two examples? God gave us favor in the sight of Bi Corporation. When we first started Shower Trailer almost 10 years ago, we gave out no water, no drinks. We tried to do showers. That was the first thing we did. But a year into it, after a year, we had a bunch of people from Faith Baptist Church who just happened to all start working at Bi Corporation. Greg, shake your head, right? Greg was there, Rod, Esther, Cassie, Astrid, Jason, James LaRiche, my son, Will, others worked there. And because God uses that and gives us favor in the eyes of people, he built relationships there. And because of the moral and ethnic and good working habits of our people, we got a chance to get free buy drinks. Now, get grant you, the church before us that they gave free buy drinks to, some of their members took the drinks and sold them on the internet and made money. And so when we asked for free drinks or we came up with the idea, they weren't too happy about giving it to churches because the other church had already practically ruined it for us. But we tried to convince them that we serve the Lord and we're going to be different than that, and they gave us a chance. And I remember the first time that in the back parking lot, they drove up with a completely 18-wheeler, gigantic semi-trailer. I mean, a huge one. 27 pallets with about 20, 12 packs on each pallet. And we, we were amazed. We didn't know we were getting that much. And we put all those drinks, and we took one of the garages and the churches, and we put literally from the front to the back all the way to the ceiling, packed it all, and we got the last one, closed the door, and that was all we could do. We had to climb around in there just to get them out. And we used them at the shower trailer. We used them at Mosaic that started the next year. We went out six, for six months at the shower trailer, three days a week, and every single day gave two to 300 buy drinks out every day we went out. That's how much they gave us. And we did it for four years. They just kept giving us drinks after drinks, pile after pile. It was almost literally $150,000 worth of buy drinks for free. People loved Mosaic. And I'm not sure it was the preaching, but they loved the buy drinks. (laughs) And God used that 
as a catalyst to bring, I can't even tell you how many people when I was at Mosaic came because we got a chance to have a buy drink sent down in the hot weather and say, how's your life? And I can tell you story after story of people that came to Mosaic. You know why? Because God put one relationship together and used the people at faith who were at that position to give us all those drinks. God gave me personally favor in the sight of Rosa. I don't know if you know who Rosa is, but she now caters, but she used to have or be the owner of Pizza Star. 20 years ago, I just moved into the area a year or two, and I just said, I like Italian food. I walked in. We sat down. She was there that day. I got to know her a little bit. She's so Italian, and I I love that. And so she started talking. We formed a relationship with her. I began to give her the gospel. About five years later, she made a profession of faith. And things all changed. She gave us so many discounts. We had meals at Mosaic where we had 60 to 100 people. And she gave us the top flight meal. I mean, all the chicken, the, 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 the pastas, the bread, the roll, the salad, everything. 60 to 100 people, all of it. And we had leftovers. And she'd get it for free for us. She's never been to Mosaic, to my knowledge. Never set foot there. But she gave us meals, banquets she's done for us, gave us discounts. She has done it many times. She introduced me as we, my family used to go on Sunday nights after church. We'd go to Rosa's just to see her and have meal there. She introduced me to this big group of political people. All the political people in Hamilton, Trent, used to eat together on Sunday nights. They used to sit next to us at the table next to us. And I got to know all of them because of her. And she introduced me to them. And now I, I knew them by name. And because of that, I met Senator Greenstein, who's a senator in the New Jersey Senate. She called me and I prayed to open the New Jersey Senate one year. Why? Because I knew Rosa had an opportunity to talk to senators. I prayed at events and numerous events that celebrate monuments, events that celebrate 4th of July, um, different dedications of buildings and all kinds of things. Not because of me, because God worked it out. I got to know the mayor personally because of it. Our choir has sing at public events. For the last six years, we've had the Martin Luther King community event right here in our church where all the dignitaries and senators and mayors come here. Our choir has sung here. Special music has been sung by us. I offered that I think we should do scholarships, I said, to public high school kids who have the spirit of MLK. And we started doing that about four years ago. Two out of the three recipients of those scholarships were young people in our youth group at Faith Baptist Church last year. All of that happened. How? Because God brought me into favor with one woman, Rosa, to his glory. See, if you are faithful to God, he will put you in places and with people who will let you fulfill his purposes for where you are, for what he wants you to do with your life. If you will be faithful to him, no matter what. See, God gave Daniel favor because they needed to pass the food test because Daniel used the food and the wine to show this, that I am not dependent on Nebuchadnezzar. I am dependent on God. And God can work for me. And they were 10 times better, more fatter, it says in flesh. 10 times. Why? Because they didn't need the wine and the drink from Nebuchadnezzar. They had God. And in everything in their lives, you'll see throughout these six chapters, Everything they did always pointed to him and everything. And God blessed them because of it. And the third and last time that verb is used in verse 17, and as for these four youths, God gave them 
learning and skill and all the literature and wisdom. And Daniel himself had a special gift from God. He could understand and interpret dreams, much like Joseph. See, you'll never understand the book of Daniel. If you think Daniel is like, kind of like the Sunday school lessons we learned as a kid, if you think they are just a bunch of random stories with great Aesop fable-type morality so that you can have the right kind of behavior, you'd be wrong about them. Because these stories that are so famous to us about the food test and the, the, the bowing down to the aisle on the fiery furnace and the lion's den, see, they're not just random stories to help you live a better life. They are stories within a story. They are stories about how God works and the big overarching meta-narrative umbrella story of redemption. And I say that because of this. That's how you should see your life. See, all the things and all the incidents and all the things taking place in your life right now, they're not just things in your life. They are God's preparation using you to tell his big story with your little story. See, that's how Daniel works, the macro lens of the big story about what God is doing in the world, and it zooms down to your little Daniel and three friends and the relationships you have with people. See, it matters what you do tomorrow morning. It matters what you do with your time. It matters how you spend your money and who you hang around with and how you see everything as a God. See, it matters because God wants to take your little life and your little stories in your world, and he wants to use them for his purposes to tell his story of redemption all over this world and every single culture. That's what God is after. And for you to see that and take the risk to do it and to be faithful to him, no matter what, you've got to have to know this. You've got to know who he is, that he's sovereign, that he's in control, listen, of every detail in your life too. And like he gave his four Hebrew boys skill and learning and understanding and special talents and abilities, see, he'll bless you. He'll use you. He'll give you favor with people. He'll give you insight into something, and you'll say something completely different than anyone else at your job will say. You know why? Because you see it as a Christian. They don't. And see, God, listen, teenager, are you, are you here? Do you understand? See, God has you in your school for a reason, and if you'll be faithful to him, and it's not easy, no matter what, when everyone else around you is sexually immoral and they party on the weekends and they disobey and honor, dishonor their parents, see, if you'll be different and you'll honor him, see, he's got a plan for you. He wants to use your little story at your said high school. See, he wants to use your life that way if you'll let him put your story into his. And the question is, will you? See, the little markers chronological markers. See, God was faithful to Daniel and his friends through everything they went through, 66 years. See, he will be faithful to you. He'll be faithful if you live for him no matter what at your job and in your marriage and with your family and the high school that you go to. He will be faithful. He was faithful to them through the entire exile and he will be faithful to you. And the question is, will you be faithful to him no matter what? Let's pray. In just a minute, we're going to close our service by singing number 597 in our hymn books. Take my life and let it be. Oh, what a beautiful song. Have you told God that and meant it?
Oh, see, no matter what means in any conditions, no matter what the circumstances, even if there are obstacles, will you be faithful? I mean, faithful, no matter what. See, perhaps some of you won't even be faithful to be able to come back even tonight. God says, will you? Would you be faithful to be like that? It won't be easy. It wasn't for them. It may mean fiery furnaces. It may mean lion's dens. It may be the threat of a person over you. But be faithful because God will be faithful to you. And can I tell you this? He's worthy. And know this, that no matter what risk you take and sacrifice you make, God is in control. God is in control. Do you believe that? If you did, you might talk differently and act differently and live differently. You might have a different set of priorities and values, a different calendar, if you really believed that he was in control. Not your boss, not the unsaved people you work for, not the people who make laws in this country. God is completely in control. Will you be faithful to him? Father, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for meeting with us in your word. We need a different kind of army, not one that carries metal swords, but Bible swords. People who will live by the book, and it shows up in their relationships and the way they do their job and their work the neighbors they are to those around them, how they respond to an anti-God culture. Let us be that kind of people that we might be light and salt in this community, wherever you may place us, and help us to see that there are no accidents, only appointments, that you have purposes intended for us if we will just submit our story to yours. Help us to do that corporately and individually for your glory and honor alone. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen.